My name is Aaron Cotton, and I'm the Family Discipleship uh, Pastor uh, here at The Grove. Um, and I want to say Happy Father's Day uh, to our dads. Um, and it's something to be celebrated uh, and honored. And so I don't know what plans you have for today. I'm sure it's going to involve some fire, some meat, and some tongs, um, hopefully. Or some of y'all already know, y'all already got the flat iron griddles that y'all got. Early Father's Day gifts that y'all are going to be busting out. Kudos to you guys. I'm a little bit jealous. But regardless to say, Happy Father's Day. Um, to you. So we've been going through the book of Proverbs uh, now starting uh, this summer. And when I think about the book of Proverbs, I can't help but think um, about uh, my relationship with my dad. We see throughout the book uh, our father, or this father, uh, addressing his son uh, and, and his daughter. He's always my, my son, do not forsake the Lord's teaching. Do not forget his teaching. My son, do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, my, my, my son, there's this, there's this father-son relationship that is throughout the entire book of Proverbs. And when I began to think about my, um, my own relationship with my dad, sorry, um, I'm going to be a little bit weepy this morning. Just going to throw that out there just a little bit, uh, just to prepare you. Because um, I want to show you a picture of, um, of something really significant to me where me and my dad would connect. Uh, this is our porch. Uh, this is the, uh, out at our property out in Waller. Uh, and there's um, many memories where my dad would be uh, sitting on this swing. Excuse me. Um, inviting us into what the Lord has done in his life. And I remember, uh, since it's summer, um, I, I, I vividly remember just how, how hot summers were in Texas and still are. And there was many times at our property we would, um, we would spend the day uh, with our horses or our goats or chickens, whatever we do, and we'd go feed and then we'd go mow, a lot of mowing. And uh, back then, like, we didn't have a lot of, like, riding mowers, so it was all push mowers that we would do. So thanks, Dad, for that. Uh, I got my workout in uh, as, as a kid. And every now and then, um, as we would tend the land, there would be a moment in the day where we needed to take a break and we, need, we would need to rest And my dad would invite us to the porch. And my dad wasn't um, a very academic man, but he was a forgiven man. And he would use nature and use life to bring us into the goodness of Jesus, a lot with coffee and a lot with watermelon, to be honest, in the summer. And he would sit his coffee cup on that swing with his unbuttoned shirt, hair just ablaze outside uh, his shirt with his little trucker hat on, paint, and he had um, an issue with his finger. He had a horse rear up on one time where he couldn't straighten out his finger, and so uh, whenever dad would talk to you, he'd swing that coffee cup to you. You didn't know if you were about to get it or he was about to say something else, but most of the time it was a, it was a gentle touch. And there on that porch, my dad would disciple me. In church, I want to invite you to the porch this morning. Because we have a good dad. And I know Father's Day brings up a lot of, obviously, emotion in me. Um, it brings up maybe some wounds in you of maybe your own absent father. Or maybe the dad that we currently have in our house that is to be celebrated. To be honored and to be celebrated this morning. Because we are called to honor our parents. But we're also called to be honest with them. So my question, really the title of this morning is, Father, where are you? Father, where 
are you as we come to the porch this morning? There's going to be kind of, as I just laid, like all of what we're about to go through this morning is we're going to be asking the question from a perspective of, 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 of dad, my, my earthly dad, where are you? And then we're going to move into God, our father, where are you? And then dads, I'm going to challenge you of father, your children, to be in the home because we are wired to connect with our parents. We're wired. That's the way God has created things to be. And so this day calls for celebration, but it may, may cause some emptiness within us because of the brokenness within our own home and our own raising. When I look at our country and I look at uh, the brokenness and the rebellion and the injustice of what we see on the news or on our, on our news feed, yes, it's a spiritual issue, but it's a home issue. And so dads, where are you? Fathers, where are you? Because if we're to be honest this morning, which I challenge us to be, is our earthly father's brokenness has shaped us more than we may be willing to admit. So our first point this morning is this, is our earthly dads are to be dealt with with honor and honesty. Honor your father and mother, but to be treated with honesty. And we see this in the life of Abraham. Like he is the father of of faith. Like we, we see him like risking his life, leaving the land that was familiar to him, taking his family, uprooting them, and going to a land that, that, that he did not know yet, yet risked it all based upon the promise that God made to him in Genesis chapter 12. Can you imagine that? Imagine that, dads or moms telling your kids, hey, we're about to move. Where, where are we moving? I don't know. But God our Father has promised to be with us, to give us land, and to be a blessing, and that we will receive this blessing so that we can be a blessing to others. But yet we also know about Abraham, that he was in the hall of faith. Amongst all the witnesses, he was honored, but we also know that Abraham had some issues. We see him giving up his wife Sarah. Remember that moment, that tension where he encounters a king? To keep him safe, he uses his wife. He was, with, he was impatient with God and, and his promise and used Hagar because he wasn't willing to wait. He was, a, he was a coward when he allowed his barren wife to assault this Hagar. And to speak of this may be shocking, but the biblical writers are honest with us this morning that he's to be honored, but also to be dealt with in honesty. My dad was a great dad. He tried his best he took advantage of the moments to point us to Jesus. He consistently admitted his brokenness, his failure of the past, but also his unwavering hope in Jesus. He valued hard work and challenged me to be a man of integrity and character. And he taught me how to look a man in the eye when I shake his hand and to do it with firmness and gusto. Like that was a proud moment as a kid. My dad teached me how to shake another man's hand. Pretty sure I've went into some of those handshakes breaking fingers because I just thought that's the measure of a man. To look a man in the eye, shake his hand. But to be honest about my dad is sometimes when if, as a kid, in order to be in good standing with him or to be in good relationship with him, it required that I sweat and do work. And still as a grown man, it has influenced me to think that I must work in order to gain my father's affection. I mean, still to this day, when I hear a mower outside in the morning, 
7 o'clock, 7.30, I have an internal freak-out moment. Still to this day. Because they're out there early, y'all. Those mowers, man, they, they get those things going. And in turn, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, my dad's outside. He's mowing the grass. Because what would happen is that my dad wouldn't tell us to mow the grass. He would just go ahead and do it. And he would say afterwards, son, you should just know when the, tall, the grass gets tall, you should, you should mow it. But then after that, he would give us a silent treatment. As if we should have just known to mow the grass. But still to this day, a wound that I have to deal with is that I can now look at my Heavenly Father thinking that I must sweat, perform, work, exhaust myself in order to earn His favor or His love or His affection. And church, that's not true. That despite us and despite our performance that can never achieve what, what, that holiness that is required of us. That's why, that's why Jesus came. That's why He sent His Son. That's why he pursued us in his love. So I don't know about your father's story. Maybe your dad was generally present and showed up to your games or activities, but mainly to live out his childhood through you. So he was a coach, constantly critiquing how you performed. A single was never good enough. That, that B that you got should have been an A. Scored 20 points in the game, should have been 30. The awards and the recognition that even others were putting on you was never enough, maybe, for your father. Or maybe your dad worked all day and would come home and check out and would barely say anything to you or wouldn't even show you any vulnerability or affection. He found his identity in his job. And, and when that was taken away, it led to a depression. As a result, mom to look, looked to you for connection and intimacy that wasn't fair to, for you to carry. Or maybe your father had a temper especially when alcohol was involved. Anger and rage was his default emotion when he was inconvenienced by life. He loved comfort and the utmost respect. And when he didn't get it, he would take it out on you or those in the home. And maybe for you, this is you this morning, this was a very scary and unstable season of your life. Or maybe your dad preferred to be on business trips. Your mom was miserable to be around, so he Dad escaped his marriage and focused on just providing for his family. And when he would come home, he would buy you so much stuff. But now as an adult, it looks like he was just paying you to deal with mom. And for those in the house, maybe your dad walked out totally to never come back home. And church, look at, look at me. I'm, I know I'm not responsible, but I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But this I know to be true, is that our Heavenly Father meets us. He pursues us. We're not blaming our dads. We're not taking uh, responsibility for our actions this morning, but we're simply being honest. Because here, church, listen to this. God desires that we grieve the stories in our lives of our dads. Why? So that he can father us and be the father that our fathers weren't and fill where they lacked. If we don't deal honestly with the past and address those father wounds, there's a chance that there's a, there's a root of bitterness that is lodged into your heart. Hebrews 12 will say this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one attains, even though our imperfect parents, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many, not just some, but many become defiled. When that bitterness gets the best of us, and we have some wounds that are left unchecked. It not just affects you, but it affects the many. 
And if we don't allow our good father to father us, to uproot, uproot this bitterness, it will influence our walk with him and how we view ourselves. William Paul, Paul Young says this, It took me all 50 years to completely wipe the face of my father off the face of God. And when there's a root of bitterness lodged in the heart, it not only affects our view of God, but also of others. We start drawing conclusions about people that aren't fair. We start interpreting things, especially people in authority. It's that we start to draw conclusions, and now, now we draw false conclusions, and now we operate out of those conclusions, and then we default to how we were raised or dealt with those emotions as a child, so we either fight or we flight. We're out. And yet there's a you that's yet to be discovered when we allow our Father to father us, to address those places that are hard to talk about. So our good Father, he comes with healing to restore that which is broken. In our honoring and in our honesty, he fathers us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Where others have failed you or hurt you, he will be for you. He will be your protector. He will be your defender. He is a safe place for you. And for those that don't belong to him, he's not so safe. He fights for you. We only need to be still. He has nothing, there's nothing that can snatch you out of his hand. You are secure in him. Church, let me ask you a question. What comfort might we find in Jesus if we welcomed him into the unresolved stories we have with our fathers? And because he is a good dad, he's a good dad, because he is a good dad, Number two, our loving father disciplines his kids for their good. As a good father does, he, he disciplines his kids for their good. Having the, the, this discipline, we are to trust God in what he is doing. He's working and wooing us closer to himself. That's why it says in Proverbs 3, uh, uh, Kyle read it earlier, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, according to Proverbs 3.11, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. He's saying, my son, my daughter, do not reject or do not turn away from the Lord's discipline or his training or his instruction. And church, listen to me. If you're in Jesus this morning, this discipline is not condemnation, but instruction and correction. Jesus has already removed the guilt and has given us his righteousness. We are already his kids and it's for this reason, because we are sons and daughters, we receive his discipline. I mean, isn't it the same way with our kids? In the same way, my, 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 my son Judah, he loves Cheetos. Loves some Cheetos. That brother can eat Cheetos all day long. And not just eat it, but wear it. All over him. In his hair. And you know anything about Cheetos, he stick to your fingers. And so not only is he eating it and wearing it, but he's coloring with it on the wall. With all that Cheeto like, brother man, we, we got to get a different snack up in here, like some goldfish or pretzels, so you're not coloring all over the wall or touching me, which makes me want to throw up on him when he comes out with me with his slimy, like with all his spit and Cheeto ridiculous on his fingers. Why do I bring up this? Because as a dad, sometimes I need to take Cheetos away and to give him something that's good for him. He can't live off of junk. And it's in this way our father, too, says, i got to take away the Cheetos. i got to discipline. i got to bring some correction here. It hurts and it stings. 
but there's more to life than Cheetos. There's more to life than just our job. There's more to life than just parenting. There's more to life than just being a stay-at-home mom. There's more to life than our stuff, our careers, our money, our homes, those things that are closest to us. Because here's what God does with this discipline. He, he, he takes our hands that are so tightly fixed in, on, on these things, and he removes those things so that we can attach our grip to him and cling to him as he fathers us. Because if not, we'll become, become distracted with these things and miss the goodness of him. So he says, don't go weary of this discipline. Don't turn back because he loves us, pursues us. Some lessons can only be learned through trial. Even Jesus himself, in his humanity, learned obedience through suffering. His suffering proves that not all suffering is due to personal sin. It also does not mean that you're out of God's favor. Rather, suffering proves your adoption as sons and daughters. Listen, God is so committed to our good that he's willing to bring suffering into our lives so that we might gain wisdom, develop character, and reflect Jesus. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, church, Grove Church, do not be surprised. Don't take a step back at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something were strange were happening to you. This fiery trial, don't be surprised by it. There, there's a refining process when we go through trials. Now, I've never personally refined gold but what I see and hear from when people actually do is when you refine gold, you turn up the heat, y'all. Because when you first have that, that, that first, like you need to, to, to break that thing down, so you'll throw gold into a furnace, crank that thing up so that all the impurities come to, can come to the surface and be taken out. And I heard a story of a, of a man training somebody on refining gold. And, and, and they kept, the, the, the guy who was being trained kept asking, how much longer? How much longer? And he goes to the fire, he looks in, he's like, it's, surely it's done. And the guy who's been refining gold his whole life said, no, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep the heat up. We've got to keep going. He kept going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the guy who was the expert in refining gold, he says, you know gold is done is when you look into the furnace and you can see your reflection. We go through trials. We go through the furnace so not to reflect our own image, but to reflect our Father. He's refining us. He's looking down, so not, not to reflect us or be about us, but to reflect Him. Isn't it true of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or for my kids in the house, Rakshak and Benny? All right, that's VeggieTales version. In the Bible, it's actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What would happen? They took a stand for the Lord. They're thrown into the furnace, literally into fire. And this mysterious one shows up, and he's, he's with them in the midst of it. Listen, y'all, there's a deeper intimacy with our Father, not out of the trial, but in the midst of the trial. Can you imagine what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they came out of that furnace? Can you imagine, like, just the freedom that they had? They're like, y'all can't touch this, no matter what you can do to me. I have a good Father, and even if he doesn't deliver us, he's still good. Y'all remember that first part? They went into that, like, not knowing. And yet there's this deeper intimacy with our Father in the midst of it, if we trust Him, if we cling to Him. Y'all remember Joseph? Handsome dude. Got thrown into slavery by his own family. Got hit on by Potiphar's wife. Fled, did the right thing. Got thrown back into jail. 
starts interpreting some dreams, calling some things out, still left in jail. God was working on his character. He was moving in Joseph. Time goes on, he gets into a place of authority, and he sees his brothers. Y'all remember this scene? Oh, man. Can you imagine if you're Joseph? I'll speak for myself. When I think about if I was Joseph, and my, my own brother threw me into a pit, sold me into slavery, I'm now in authority, my brother's about to get it, y'all. That's what I'd be thinking. Like, oh, oh, Nate, you coming. All right, yeah, okay. It's about, it's about to go down, older brother. Remember, Joseph's younger brother. Like, this is his spot. If you're like a younger sibling, you get it. You grew up your whole life looking up to these people. And then when they betray you, our flesh wants to react. But what was God doing in that prison? What was God doing in that pit? He was forming character. How do I know this? Because Joseph looks at his brothers and weeps, y'all. He weeps, and he has this perspective in Genesis 50, 20. He says, look, y'all meant to harm me. Y'all meant to, to do me harm, but God meant it for good. He, he orchestrated the bad. He orchestrated the good for the salvation of his people. He's up to something. I don't know what trial you're in this morning. I don't know what fire you find yourself in or what pit you are in. As you deal with these wounds, our Father is pursuing us now in this moment, orchestrating your good and for his glory. He's working. He's wooing. And he's drawing us closer. I mean, even Jesus himself suffered, died a horrific death rose from the grave to give us life. It's a bigger picture that he invites us into this morning. If Jesus suffered, who are we to think that we are above it? I mean, everything in our culture and our world says, avoid pain and suffering. Do whatever you can to get out of it. But God brings discipline and trials into our lives to invite us into a spiritual gym, as Keller would say, to build a stronger faith, in Jesus. Talked about gold a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Y'all know how muscles grow? You know you're going to get an anatomy lesson this morning too while you show up to church. There's a breaking that happens. There's a, 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 a resistance that must be met. There's, a, there's an exerting oneself that over time as we, do, as we are exposed to higher resistance, and lengthening, and our muscles grow, but if, if, if it's not met with resistance, we actually dwindle. And here's the point, is that meaningful growth requ- requires challenge and resistance. If our faith is not met, met with resistance, it will dwindle, we'll be apathetic, and we'll be weak. This is why Paul is able to say in Romans chapter 5, but we rejoice in our suffering. What? Rejoice in sufferings? Are you kidding me, Paul? How can you say this? Why? Because knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Not just like a little trickle, but has been unleashed poured out, overflowing into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And church, it is with this love that has been overwhelmingly poured out into our hearts, we are able to move forward no matter the obstacle that's in front of us. Because these things are true, we can rejoice in suffering, knowing Jesus suffered himself. There's no other religion in the world that sees their God stoop so low to suffer to be acquainted with grief. That's what makes our Christianity distinct. 
and unique is that God would humble himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And through humility, as we talked about last week, there's honor that he now sits as king, ruling and reigning, and he sends his love poured out into our hearts. And it's from this place we move forward. Third point this morning is our Father's love is extended for us to Father from it. That's what Proverbs 3 says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights, that we're loved, that we're delighted in. It's these things that are the root of his discipline. Unlike our nature, our father does not discipline because he is annoyed or irritated with us, but from a place of genuine love. Fathers, parents, from what place do you discipline your kids? From what place? I know it's corona time. I know that there's even talk about going into a lockdown. And some of us, when we hear about that, we're like, no, no way. Don't do it again. But something that I know out of this season is that a lot of blame can be put on corona. But I think God has shaken up the circumstances to reveal really what's going on inside our hearts. And as we look into our hearts, how do we discipline our kids? How do we talk to them? And y'all, if I could just be a little bit vulnerable with you and just honest this morning, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I know that I may not have friends after I go through this section. <laughs> There's going to maybe be some hard words to swallow, but they've been hard words to swallow for me this week because I want to talk to our dads this morning. If you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Or come up in the screen behind me. Paul writes this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We know that verse. We can quote that verse to our kids. Honor your father and mother because it is right. It's in, it's in the book. I was talking to somebody this past week about uh, just mentioning honor and father and mother. And then I continued to go on to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when I told that to that person, they were like, I didn't even know that was in there. All I heard my whole life was, on your father and mother. On your father and mother, that, that it may go well with you. I mean, it's in the book. It's Exodus 20. It's like one, one, one of the commandments. Sometimes we can forget that little verse right there in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Dads, look at me. It starts, it starts with you. You are to lead in this. You can't clock out when you come home. But check back in for our second shift. You could be something out in the world, in the workplace. That's easy, y'all. That's easy to go out and do something great. That's easy. Our Father will gauge the measure of a man and how we lead in the home. That's where the real work is. Robert Lewis defines a man as this. A real man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, loves sacrificially, and looks to the greater reward. Isn't that great? Rejects passivity? Just like Adam in the garden being passive? Let's reject that. Let's accept our responsibility, not blame others. Let's, let, let, let's, let's lead courageously in the home. Let's love our wives sacrificially. And because of all of this, we look to this greater reward that is coming. He's coming. This past week, um, I was watching a little bit of Netflix. And y'all, I have a, um, a, a little love for country music. 
And uh, there's this documentary that came out uh, on Garth Brooks. And so I uh, started to watch some, some of this. And uh, I, I didn't know a lot about Garth Brooks. Um, but I, I, after watching the documentary, I was able to learn that, like, he was a big deal. Like, that brother had some accomplishments. I mean, he had people in Ireland and in Germany singing country music. That's something, y'all. That's a big deal. So in the 90s, like, Garth Brooks, like, Thunder Rolls. Man, the dance? Mm. I got my slow dance on in that song right there. Come on. Garth Brooks? And I was beginning to watch the film. I remember that there was a time where he stepped out of retirement. Like in, the, in, in like in the season of his life where he's at the top. And when I began to learn, for, for all Garth Brooks, whatever, his values, I know, questionable. But this moment here, as I was watching this documentary, which are two episodes, each is an hour and a half, and I sat through both of them. It was, it was, I just got locked in, and it was this that locked me in, is that he left the top of his game to be at home with his kids. And for 14 years, sure dysfunction, for 14 years he laid aside the fame to be at home. And this question stirred up in me, and I want to ask you this. Is dads, will we step out of being something in the world to give our kids the world by inviting from fighting them on the greatest adventure of following Jesus in all of life. Will we give him the world, the greatest adventure? If your kids are bored in the house, which they are, remind them that there's an adventure out there. there, there there's a journey out there that we're invited to be on the mission of God for the salvation of people, for his glory, and for our good. There's an adventure that we can, that we can excite our kids on. Let's, let's go be about that. Will we give them that world? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The chief sin of a father is to, bo- is to provoke their kids to anger. To provoke your child to anger is to bruise their spirits. It's to, de- it's to deflate their souls and tear them down rather than bringing them up. And I want to walk through how we do this. How do we provoke our kids to anger? First one is neglect. Your child is only going to ask you to play so many times before he goes to find somebody else. If you are not inconveniencing yourself to connect with your child emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, then you are leaving your child to search for it. And so they wander as orphans to things of this world, surrounding themselves with fools and entertainment and pleasure. Josh McDowell said this. I've referred to it before uh, a couple years ago. He says, rules without relationship. Rules, boundaries, which are good, without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Dad, where are you? I pray that you'd get off the recliner and refuse to be reduced to a warm body in your home. I pray that you invest in your kids with, with presence and with persistence, covering them with prayer And with the promise of the gospel, it's worth it. How else do we provoke our kids to anger, abuse, verbally and physically? Parents that wait to to, to rightly discipline their child have an internal buildup that, if not checked, will result in discipline out of anger and not love. Y'all know that it's building. Your kid's acting a fool. It's just building. It needs to be addressed. You're like, maybe another day, maybe another moment, maybe another minute. It's just building. And if it's not checked... The default is rage, anger, and not the spirit. 
Parents, let me ask you a question. What has been the tone of your voice recently with your kids? What's been the tone of your voice with your family? When we scream at our kids, it produces an environment of instability, creating wounds of fear. When correcting, yes. Change your voice. Have that authoritative tone. But when we use words like, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid or something? That causes damage to the soul. and pushes down our child into, into a world of shame that they will spend the rest of their lives attempting to entangle the mess that you have instilled in them. How else do we provoke our kids to anger? Is we, we, have failure, we, we fail to recognize how our child is wired. That our kids aren't like us, and that's okay. They're wired differently. Let me encourage you parents, study your kids. What gifts have God given them? And then cultivate those gifts and give them freedom to spread their wings, to fly out of your home, to be who God wants them to be. Who cares that they're not the all-star athlete that you were in high school or that you maybe you thought you once were? Who, who, who cares about that? Don't relive the glory days through your kids. You will squash their spirit and handicap them and hinder them from what God has in store for them. We also provoke our kids to anger when we spoil them. When we spoil them. When you give your child anything they want, it no longer helps them but hinders their growth. And the result is an entitled child who thinks God and everyone else owes them something. And you may think, well, I went without it. I don't want them to go without as well. The things that you never had probably, if we were to be honest, helped form our character. And the things we give our children could potentially do more harm than good. And lastly, we provoke our kids to anger when we don't discipline them. If we don't set boundaries, our kids don't know that they're safe. It's in within, within these limits, within these boundaries that we enforce, we are demonstrating what God's authority looks like. You know why teens get into their teenage years and it's so easy for them to rebel? What I've seen and I take a step back, not just in the church, but the world, it's because parents have decided that my kid's old enough and I no longer need to parent them. And so I'm going to step out and kind of allow them to figure it out on their own. And what it's causing is a generation uh, that is superly confused uh, and, they're, and, and, and they're also trying to figure life out on their own and it's, it's miserable. And so they just act out as orphans. But parents of teens, let me encourage you, don't check out, dial in. There's still formation to be done in the life of your child. And so I, as I know our families and even some of the conversations that I've had, even if you are the best parent in the house, and you're like checking these things off the list, like, yep, got that done, I don't, not, not, not me. Even if we are the best parent, it doesn't guarantee that we're going to have a child who loves Jesus. It doesn't mean the, like, that is going to be a, a, care, a guarantee. You know, like the story of the prodigal in Luke 15? Like, he had the best dad. No greater father than that. And yet still looks at his dad and says, hey, I don't want anything to do with you. Give me what I want. I'm going to go do what I want to do and go party up in Vegas. Vegas didn't exist then, but I imagine something like that. And waste his money. But what does the father do? The father doesn't bail his kid out. He allows the child to go face the consequences of his choices, which was literally in a pit with pigs, feeding, or sorry, eating what was being fed to them. 
And it was in the midst of facing that consequence that sometimes us parents want to deliver our kids out of is the means in which God gets their attention. Because in the midst of that, he has memories of his father. He reflects on his kindness, and he comes to his senses, according to Luke, which leads him towards repentance. Are we allowing to entrust ourselves into what God decides is good? Are we going to take matters into our own hands and decide what is good for our kids? Even when it hurts. Even when it's hard to see the consequences and choices they face. Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up, literally t- to, to nourish them. And we think, that's, that's a word for like mom. That's not a word for me. That's false. Paul says it here. Dads, nourish your kids. Bring up your kids. Be about their holistic care. Cultivate them. Be, be concerned with their emotions. Be concerned with their feelings and bring them up. Just like we do with the garden just like we do with the flower bed, just like as we, as we get out there and we till the land, we care for the land, we break the land, we plant seed into the land, we pray for water to come and bring growth to the land, we, we, wa- have, we, we watch out for, for pests to come in and we drive them out. There's a, there's a cultivating in our parenting. Is it no reason why we see in the Garden of Eden God placed Adam to, to work it, to keep it? And yet we see later that Jesus shows up in a garden of Gethsemane because what was forfeited in Genesis 3, Jesus shows up in, in, in the Gospels in this garden of Gethsemane to restore that which was broken, to bring peace. And there's no, there's no reason or no... Uh, it's not without understanding that Jesus shows up as, as a gardener. Do you remember Mary when she sees Jesus? I think she's... Like, there's some, even, like he's just some gardener. I don't, I don't really know you. What are the scriptures teaching us? Is that we will fail. We will fail in our parenting. And when we do, we point our kids to our better father. We are not the savior of our kids, but Jesus is. So we lead them to him. We have this mindset, follow me, kids, as I follow, as I follow Jesus. Fathers, where are you? That's the question. Is well, we make our Christianity available and real and tangible. If Christianity is just a Sunday thing, your, your, your kid's going to grow up confused, disjointed, and really disinterested in Jesus. But let us invite our kids into all of life. Dads, when you pray, get your kids around. When you get on your knees, invite them in. When you're struggling, invite them in. When you're lacking sleep and tired, invite them in. And invite them into the greater hope that is in Jesus. Some of us may be feeling a bit shameful or maybe guilty in this moment. And maybe identifying with our former father in Genesis 3 of blaming, hiding, covering up. But the good dad shows up and says, where are you? I'm going to properly clothe you with righteousness. I'm going to liberate you. I'm going to give you a new story to live in. And so I'm going to invite Chris uh, and the rest of the guys up. And our last song is, His Mercy is More. And I wish that like we talked about this and said, hey man, we need to end on this song. But I don't think it could be a more fitting word. So we talk about hard things this morning. We're going to sing what patience would wait as we constantly roam.
what Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Church, there's no time like the present. We call it the present because it's a gift to make a shift for the kingdom. And so as we respond this morning, let me invite you, church, to do as you feel led to do. It may be that, Dad, you look at your kids and you grab your hand on them, you, you pray over them. Moms, you just huddle up over them or you get on the floor with them. That we just spend a moment taking in words that we hear that we would lead our families even now. And allow the Father to father us as we father our kids. Pray with me. God, you're good. You're a good dad. But we need your help. I desperately need your help, God. I need your wisdom. I need your love. I don't want to just talk about these things, but I want, I want to be moved by these things. I need people to speak into my life, older men who are godly and fear you. God, will you raise up older men and older women to disciple the younger to be a good spouse, a good parent, and a good Jesus follower? Oh God, we need wisdom. Would you give it to us? God, I pray we take these truths that we remember that we're properly clothed in Jesus, that we have the righteousness of God that's now dwelling in us. So I pray we walk out with freedom, with conviction, with correction, that maybe today as we get around a grill or we sit in the pool or we get in the floaty or get in the swing, God, I pray that we would stop and pause and allow you to father us, maybe where our fathers didn't, so that we can be led by you, not from a place of anger or irritation or frustration, but God, let us lead and live from a place of love that you provide. Be with us, that you are. You're for us. That's what makes us possible. We love you, God. In your name I pray. Amen.